this might be a hot take, but we need to go back to the rule. If, if your skates are in the crease and you're making contact with a goalie, I don't care what it is, just to have some clarity to the rule, that's a no goal. What's up and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is the Jeff Delorier episode number 38. Sean, how's it going? It's going pretty good, except is there nobody better than Jeff Delorier for number 38? No, no, there, there's four guys. That, that actually blew me away. Ian Fraser, Terrence Sand with Chris Ferraro and Jeff Delorier, who wore it the longest tenured. You know what? Like, yeah, it's the Jeff Delorier <laughs> episode because I don't really know any of those guys. So yeah, good for Jeff. He made the list. That is a dark, dark, dark period in Oilers history. That 2009-2010. It wasn't great. <laughs> uh, that's nuts. That's nuts. Um, yeah, let's let's dive into things here in a second. But uh, we want to apologize. Life got in the way last week, and we looked at the the uh, the schedule, and it was already Thursday at that point. We're like, we've got a couple more games. Um, We'll get to it next week, and and life goes on, and we're here. We got a lot, a uh, lot to to talk about here in episode thirty eight. Uh, but just to recap before we get things uh, going, I know last time we talked, they're heading into Boston, three uh, two in against the Bruins. Uh, that ugly seven four loss against the Leafs, six three back at home against the Senators, four one win against the Stars. We saw the Seattle afternoon win. 6-4 on Saturday, and we're recording it here on Tuesday the 21st, uh, coming off the heels of a 5-4 OT win against the Sharks. Uh, but yeah, let's just dive into things. Uh, where do we want to start here? We've got a bunch of topics. Uh, since we're just fresh in our minds, can we talk about the reviews and everything that was going on in the San Jose game last night? I mean, how do you not at least be happy about it? Obviously, it's oh, a, yeah. a shit show, but... It was definitely in our favor last night, as much as you hate to see Hyman have another goal called back. He's got to lead the NHL, like, in the most, like, per season. Well, I believe he's had seven goals called back, plus two goals that were called back that were immediately called back on the ice. So they weren't reviewed. Yeah. It was just on the ice, no goals. <laughs> so that's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah, just wild. Just wild. Looking, uh, there's four disallowed goals last night, uh, like reviews. Um, two of them being goaltender interference calls. Where do you stand in like the flow of the game um, and all these reviews? I get that like the offside's kind of cool to go back and look, but I, I find they take a big flow out of the hockey game. The goalie interference ones, like I understand that. The offside ones, I think, I think oh, we talked I talked about it before, like... I don't necessarily disagree with them, but they need to do them quickly. Like, luckily, these weren't ones where they're, like, having to slow it down frame by frame to see if it's, like, a millimeter offside. So it wasn't yeah. so bad. But overall, I still think that they should just have time limits on the offside ones. You watch it a couple times at full speed. If you can't tell if it's offside, then it's a good goal because otherwise it's too close to tell. Yeah. Like, I know I saw the the Gregor goal. Um or the Gregor offside. I don't know if he scored, but I uh, just seen his feet cross the line and then they showed it like once. And it's like immediate. Don't even need to look at it a second time, like offside. 
Um, but I, I'm kind of with you. We need a time limit on these things. You get three looks at it. You can't make that decision. It's whatever the call was on the ice. The issues that I'm having with are the goaltender interference calls. This might be a hot take, but we need to go back to the rule. If, if your skates are in the crease and you're making contact with a goalie, I don't care what it is, just to have some clarity to the rule, that's a no goal. Like, there, any contact outside of the crease, fair game. Yeah, I would have to say contact would have to be included with the in the crease because I really haven't enjoyed, I think it's international, they have it that oh, if yes. you're in the crease at all when the puck goes in, then it doesn't count. Or that's how the well, rule used to be. they blow it down? Yeah. They well, blow it down as soon as you they blow enter down. the crease. But that's how it used to be. I think that was the whole hubbub about, was it Buffalo's? Uh, Stanley yes. Cup win in like yes. game seven or whatever. Um, Brad Hall's toe in the crease. Yeah. Yeah. So like that was the one that was like, it's fucking annoying. It's like, yeah, your toe's in the crease. Who gives a shit? But if you're in the crease touching the goalie in any way, then yeah, sure. Let's just call it back. If like they're going to call back any of those, like say, for example, the one on San Jose's goalie interference last night, like mm-hmm. that one was almost to the point where I thought that it should have counted. Because it seemed yeah. like it was so minor, but it was still contact in the crease. So it just depends on how they decide to interpret the rule. The Are you talking about the goal that San Jose scored or the one that they challenged? The one that they scored. I thought the one uh, that they yeah, challenged yeah, yeah. against Hyman was fine because I said to my roommate when I was watching the game, I was like, if this was against Edmonton, I would be fuming right now if they counted this as a goal. Like, yeah. But my homerism was like, I hope they count it. Hyman really needs one of this. <laughs> um, I I tend to agree with you there. I the way I kind of saw it is as soon as the Oilers challenged, like it it was kind of similar. I definitely agree that Hyman's uh, interference, and I'm using air quotes here, was a little bit more egregious. But uh, I th- I figured it was just going to be kind of tit for tat. They're going to call one or call both, but not one or the other. That being said, like. Some of these, like, <laughs> I don't know if he caught the call on the ice, but he's like, uh, after review is determined the goalie could not do his job. <laughs> like, that's that's an interesting way of putting it. You think but, they would have, uh, like, a set, like, script they're supposed to say after? <laughs> and I know uh, they like to ham it up sometimes and build up the yeah, suspense. No it's like, we have <laughs> determined that it is not goaltender interference. They're like, what? Yeah. Really you. <laughs> you are... You are not the father. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. They they got to re- revamp this rule here because there's just been too much, like... Uh, there's this, there's the offsides, there's the the redirection rules, like the, the kicking in motion. Um, I think we need to take another look at the rules here and add some clarifications, but... Yeah, um, it was, uh, it's it was just... a little annoying that added 30 minutes onto the game. Like, generally, a game yes. takes two and a half to two hours, 45 minutes to finish. And that one went till 1030. So a full three hours. Yeah. So that was a little bit annoying to have to deal with. And, but what can you do? We still won. So, um, yeah, I do have a question though, to go along with these called back goals. Um, sure. Not counting, let's say the interference one, cause it was interference. Jack Campbell technically led in six goals last night. Fuck. It wasn't it seven. Well, no. it would have been seven, but I'm giving him the benefit yes. of the doubt on the goaltender interference. Okay. 
So he led yeah. in seven, but that one probably he could have saved if he wasn't interfered with. But the offsides, like, that's not really, like, a callback that is not on him. It's it's tough. Like, it's still a 902 save percentage. Uh, like, it's a, it's a bad night for him. Uh, I can only imagine it, it would be that much worse. Uh, I don't know, man. The, okay, you had a question tied, or tied to that? Well, yeah, my question was, yeah. well, first of all, the fact that he led in six goals and what you thought of that. Um, and why does it seem like he can't make the big save? Like, he did end up making big saves in overtime. I'll give him props there. But, yeah. like, every time Edmonton was either back in the game or got that lead, San Jose would just get a chance and score. And, like, I understand some of them, if not most of them, were because of defensive lapses. But he needs to make like one or two of those saves. Like you look at Reimer on the other side, he was making like five alarm saves back and forth and back and forth and almost won San Jose the game single handedly. Yeah, it, it's a good question. Um, I definitely had that in my notes. Like, although it was a win 5 4, um, he still gave up seven goals. Uh, that being said, I don't know. I. I think part of it has to do with the fact he's a smaller goaltender. And if you look at a lot of the goals that were actually scored on him last night that counted, uh, a lot of it was just stuff in traffic. Um, I don't know if he has the same like visibility that, you know, of goaltenders that we've had in the past. Like you have a Mike Smith who's big, you have Miko Koskinen who's big. They obviously had their, their own issues in that right. But I don't know. I'm kind of with you. Like, you got to make that save. And I, I just, maybe visibility is a poor excuse, but still like he, he's got to, he's got to make a save once in a while and they just can't rely on him as a, a starting goaltender. Like the, that's not even a question in my mind right now that Stuart Skinner has got to get 80, 90% of the starts. Yeah, like well, I see maybe three more starts for Campbell. Maybe, maybe like I would say probably two, just unless Skinner's getting tired and he wants some more time to focus on his game and practice and rest before playoffs. But I don't know, like yeah. I keep wanting to give Campbell the benefit of the, of the doubt in each game going into it. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then mm -hmm. he like lets in a goal in the first two minutes of the game. He makes a bad glove save because there seems to be a hole in his glove. Um, there's just like, he just keeps repeating the same mistakes and that's more what my issue is that uh, he just can't seem to even like squeeze a good game in between these games. Like Toronto, was it the Toronto game that Campbell started or was no, that? No, that was not... Skinner. That was okay. Skinner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's just not great. He has not had a quality start in quite a while. I think that was Skinner. Am I going crazy? I think you're right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm with you. Like, uh, you want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but it's just, and, and I'm kind of the, I don't know. I I think I'm loyal to a fault sometimes, um, at least with my patience with players. But if you're judging anyone on their job, if they mess up and they have like a bad streak, it's one thing. But this has been the whole season. This has been the narrative all year. Um, I honestly, Sean, I'm rather have Miko Koskinen in that. Well, as I a think, backup, I think we'd rather have either Smith or Koskinen in that at this point. And like, it's kind of unfortunate that people gave Koskinen and Smith so much shit in the past couple of years because they were exponentially better than Campbell has been thus far for us. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know. Um, before we lose sight of this uh, San Jose game, it kind of just it stood out here. Um, Matias Ekholm has been an absolute stud since coming over. This this is a story I'm never going to get tired of uh, talking about. Um, obviously, two goals, it's not like what you're expecting from him every single night. But in 10 games with Edmonton, three goals, six assists for nine points in 10 games played, plus 15. This is exactly what we needed at the deadline. And like it absolutely looks like a steal of a deal from um, the Oilers' perspective. Well, I've seen some people still think that it was an overpayment, but I think they really don't realize what Ekholm has brought to the team. And with him coming to the team too, you can't undersell the fact that it's made Nurse more comfortable as well, where he plays mm-hmm. in less pressured situations. I believe he's still playing against higher quality of competition, um, but I think it's just taking a little bit more pressure off of his shoulders, which based off of, I can't remember what analytics or whatever person it was, but they generally do a like contract comparison to based off of their play. So they're like, they're playing like this level of defenseman. So earlier in the year, nurse was projected and playing as like a $3 million defenseman. So like an excess value of like $6.25 million, which is fucking one third, one third is contract. And now he's apparently in the past, I think quarter of the season, he's been playing at like a $8.7 million defenseman level. And See, I'm okay with, with that. Yeah. Within like half a mil of him is Ekholm as well as Bouchard. Yeah. So they're both, they're all yeah. three are playing at like an $8 million defenseman level. It's, uh, it's amazing what you can do when you especially can take those big minutes away. Like I, I'll be intrigued to see how they handle the minutes, especially. Well, and, and you can't really lose sight of it uh, with Dayarna and what he's brought coming up as well. Uh, it's all kind of that same realm, but it is kind of taking those minutes, like you'd mentioned, away from Nurse. I'm going to be intrigued to see how they uh, manage it in the playoffs, but I don't know. I do not know, but I, I just... The team has a lot more confidence. Some of the little plays that I'm noticing with uh, Ekholm's just... It's new, and it's showing confidence to a lot of uh, younger players on the back end. Well, it's unbelievable what he's done for Bouchard and is giving you shades of Duncan Keith and what he was able to do for Bouchard last year. And the reason why Bouchard was projecting, I think, so well was playing with a stable veteran partner who brought a lot of leadership and direction to him. So when he makes that mistake, he's got a guy on the bench telling him what he did wrong and how he needs to improve and what he can do. And now he has that again with Ekholm. And I think Ekholm is an even better fit because he actually plays defense. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, speaking of playoffs, we've got some, some scenarios shaping up. I mean, it's not like the the East where basically the, the well, look at the uh, uh, Atlantic that's basically been set in stone for the past, like, friggin' forever. Um, Edmonton's kind of got their their partners pared down to like four teams right now with the way things are shaking out uh it looks like it could be uh either vegas la seattle dallas colorado like we're we're kind of all within a couple points of each other i see seattle's kind of starting to come back to life uh i'm down to earth i guess they 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 were very much alive for the most of this season but uh just curious out of those teams i listed who would you rather who do you think is the best um the best suitor for the edmonton oilers in the first round well in a perfect world 
we would play against Seattle because I think Seattle has the worst goaltending of the bunch, the worst defenseman of the bunch, and maybe a lot of depth up front, but they don't have the star power up front. So mm. they would be the team I'd most like to be matched up against. Um, but in terms of teams I do not want to play, it's probably L- L.A., actually. Yeah, I, it's funny. You beat me to the punch. That was going to be my next question. I, I have L.A. and Dallas as my two big scaries. Um. I wouldn't mind a, a matchup against Vegas. Seattle, obviously, I think would be the the ideal partner. Um, but I don't know what it is about LA this year. They're just they're a young squad and they're just getting better. Well, and, we played I them mean, in the playoffs last year. We know what they're capable of, and now they're better than they were previously. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I I'm a little bit concerned about playing LA because one thing I think their style matches up really well against Edmonton. Yeah. So it's just it's just a little scary. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we'll we'll see this um, shake out here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, looking right now, the Edmonton Oilers sitting in third place with 88 points, uh, 11 games remaining, uh, four points separating them between that and the top of the Western Conference, which goes back to my prediction at the start that they'd be number one. I don't know. Like Vegas has got a Vegas has been playing pretty good. Like they're eight and two in their last ten. And LA's eight zero and two, like some crazy records going on here in the uh, the Pacific Division. Well, it's kind of ridiculous. All the top, like the top six teams right now in the West: Dallas, Colorado, Minnesota, Vegas, LA, and Edmonton. All of them are on relatively hot streaks. Like Dallas yes. seven yeah. and three in their last ten, Colorado seven and three, Minnesota seven and three, and then the entirety of the Pacific eight and two, eight and two, eight and two. Yeah, like. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's cooling off. The only team who's quote unquote cooling off is Seattle and they're six, three and one. And like everybody else is the only reason why Seattle's dropping is because everybody else is so hot right now that they can't keep up like a six, three and one in your last 10. That should be pretty solid for Seattle. And I think they've dropped three places in the standings in like the past 10 games. I honestly, I wonder how pissed off Vancouver fans are. It's it's fun to pick on them, but they're on an eight and two run as well right now. Well, it's like I, I don't know if it'd be fun to be a Vancouver fan. I like it's fun to be a like a fantasy guy with um Elias Pettersson on my team. That's been pretty fun. But as a Vancouver mm-hmm. fan wanting to win Bedard for the hometown boy, like you've got to be pretty disappointed with that. But at the same time, it gives them maybe some optimism for next year because their ownership refuses to rebuild anyway. So doesn't yeah. really matter. <laughs> yes. Um Hey, Sean, we got a lot of milestones to talk about. Lots that have happened, uh, things that are on the verge of of happening. Uh, It's insane to feel like we've been talking about a new milestone for this team every single week, Uh, whether it was McDavid hitting 200-point milestones this season or, you know what I mean, Um, Dreisaitl getting uh, his big milestone, Nuge as well, but... Uh, Zach Hyman, for the first time in his career, nets his 30th goal of the season. Uh, scored last night to make it 31. What's the realistic proje- projection for for Hyman? I mean, you add in the nine goals that are whatever has been disallowed. Do you think Hyman will ever get to that 40 goal plateau? Well, I'm I'm going to be honest. I think this year will probably be his peak, and I only say that like I think he'll be consistent for the rest of his career. Don't get me wrong, but like with 
Kane being healthy in this lineup full time, it does take away like some of the goals from everybody else because there's only so many goals to go around. I don't think like a full season of Kane means Edmonton would have 30 more goals than they do right now. They might have like 15 yeah. more goals and then 15 of the goals from the other players would probably be moved to him or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think this is the peak, but it's a really <laughs> fucking good peak to be on right now. I'll say that much. Yeah, definitely. I, I never even put two seconds of thought into the fact that Kane was gone for half the year. But yeah, it's it's very valid. Um, it is nice, though, that you have a top-line guy out of the lineup and you can have someone step up and, and produce the way he's been producing. So um, hopefully he continues this up. Uh, it's just it's great to see. Great to see. Um, also on the cusp of things here, Ryan Nugent Hopkins needs 14 points in 11 games to land his first 100-point season. Does he do it, Sean? Yes. Yes. And end sentence there. End sentence? <laughs> yes, he absolutely, I think, will get that. Like, the way this team is playing right now, the minutes that he's mm -hmm. getting, and the way he's playing, like, I see no reason why he cannot get 14 points in 11 games. I... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I uh, I keep imagining this in my head. I don't know if you remember uh, McDavid's first ever 100 point season, um, when he like they're on the power play trying to set him up for that 100 points, and like everything was getting fed his way. Same with a dry sidle like 50th goal of the season. I I can just see this like Hyman out on a power play, and he's getting like 18 touches in two minutes. Yeah, that's pretty much what's going to end up happening. And like, assuming we're <laughs> solidified in the playoffs in the last like three games of the year, let's say, like, there's going to be 20 plus minutes a night for these guys trying to hit their milestones, like, trying to give them that individual trophy. Not that the, any of those guys want those kind of things or care yeah. about those kind of things, but their teammates care. And that's the important part. Yeah, absolutely. I think I might have said Hyman. Uh, I definitely meant Nooch, but my brain is all over the place. Um, yeah, on, on that topic with Nuge, congratulations. He is going to be a dad. I still feel like we were calling him baby Nuge like two years ago. And look at this. Look at this. Go from baby Nuge to daddy Nuge just like that. No kidding. Was it Jay Woodcroft? Is like he just started shaving. Now he's going to be a dad. Like amazing. Uh, finally, the last kind of milestone that uh, is kind of sitting there. There's three Edmonton Oilers on the cusp of 300 uh, goals in their, their NHL career, this being Kane, Dreisaitl, and McDavid, uh, respectively 299, 298, and 297. There's only been two instances in the NHL where teammates have scored their 300th goal in the same game, uh, one of them being uh, in Colorado when Smith was there, Ryan Smith with uh, Milan Hayduk in the uh in the same game do do you think there's a, a chance we can see all three in one game like could you imagine that i would love Just to see it like next game for example dry sidle scores one mcdavid scores two and then all three of them score one goal in the next game to all hit 300 yeah that it, see that's realistic i was thinking like five nothing but there's no way in hell that's happening well i'd love to see like next game they all score like yeah, goal for Kane, two for Drysaddle, and a Hattie for McDavid. But let's be at least a little bit realistic here. Yeah, um, be nice to see. I, I think if we take it one game at a time, it'd be nice to see it all happen in the uh, uh, the same game. But 
regardless, they're all going to hit it. I would think by the end of the season, no problem. Oh, if they don't hit it by the end of the season, I will be yeah. incredibly disappointed barring injury. <laughs> Very true. Uh, I want to go back to the Boston game. Uh, we didn't get a chance to discuss this, but um, what were your thoughts heading out of TD Garden after that performance, a 3-2 win? I mean, how could you be disappointed in any way? Like, you go toe-to-toe with the best team in the league and come out with the W? Like, that's literally the only thing you really wanted, and I think it probably helped prove to the team that they are a legitimate cup contender if they can take on Boston. Yeah. It is weird because it it was kind of the start of a a downfall. I think Boston lost three of their next four, uh, which is, like, nothing crazy for a normal team, but a team that only had eight losses at that, at that point in the season. Um, it was really nice to show them that like the Oilers compete with that level of hockey club. And uh, yeah, I, I know we had chatted about coming out of that three run stretch, uh, Boston, Toronto, Ottawa, hoping to get uh, two out of three. Um, I obviously would have liked to beat Toronto, but that game was just a runaway Um so uh, I just wanted to recap that because I know that was my biggest wish list for the uh, for the Oilers here towards the end of the year is make sure that they're putting up points against teams that we know are going to be there in the uh, the end of the game here. Well, like I think one of the most important factors in the fact that they beat Boston is, well, A, they came back from two goal deficit, which mm-hmm. Boston had not blown in like a year and a half, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely insane. And then on top of that, all three of the goals came from, like, depth guys or defensemen. (laughs) Which is mind-boggling. Like, they didn't need the big guys to step up and beat a team like Boston. Like, you'd think it'd be like Boston had. They had Marshawn score, they had Pasternak score. So, like, they're two big scorers. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just love it. Our depth, like, that's one thing that we haven't really touched on too much, is our bottom six has been unbelievable in the past, like, 20 games. Yeah. Uh, I have to go back and apologize to Devin Shore. I was more critical of number 14 Devin Shore, but this new number 19 Devin Shore we've got on our team, holy shit. Who knew new number, new player would be what's going on with him? (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with you. Our our bottom six has been absolutely stacked. Um they're they're putting up points when we're not expecting to and it's almost like it's almost as if the narrative over the past couple of years are, was that if you can shut down McDavid and Drysaddle you'll walk the Oilers easily and i don't think that's the case anymore and we see it in games like Boston even to some extent like in against uh San Jose um yeah the it, it's just not a narrative that they can run with anymore well it's just it's just great Honestly, I'm so excited with the way that our bottom six is played. Like outside of Devin Shore, Yanmark, and Holloway, all the forwards have scored at least ten goals. And yeah. I like to think like Holloway maybe could have got to ten if he played the full season and Shore probably wouldn't have, but Yanmark's only two away. So like that's crazy to me. I did not expect our especially the first half of the year where everybody just shit talked our bottom six and like Devin Shore, for example, like you were talking about, like, Oh, it's just fantastic. I don't even know what to say at this point. I've never been this excited for our bottom six in my life. Well, it's funny. Like if you talked, if we were to have this same conversation and tell Greg and Sean, you know, and in November that 
um, Dylan Holloway wouldn't be playing on this team in the playoffs. And Clem Costin, who's made a huge like push on this team, would be playing bottom like bottom twelve numbers. I, I think I would have told you you're you're absolutely kidding me. Well, and to I mean be they've added fair, one. The Holloway what? thing is because he's injured. I still don't think he has a like if he's healthy. I still don't think he has a place on this lineup. Well, now I don't think he does because I think everybody else has played so well that now they don't really need to bring him up. If like he'll probably be a black ace during the playoffs, but I doubt he will actually. Well, in a perfect world, we our team plays well enough that he doesn't need to play. But um, didn't he get sent down? He got sent down and got hurt in Bakersfield. Yeah, so he got sent down as part of the um, when I think it was Kane or Yamamoto came back. So it was part of the yeah. the cap crunch cap. moves they had to make. And then yeah. he played in his first game. He got hurt. And then uh, DeHarnay got called back up when I think it was Kane then got hurt because then they mm-hmm. had space. But then they couldn't call up Hallway because he was injured. Yeah. Okay. That that's fair. Um, yeah, I guess the cap crunch kind of sent him down there, but uh, yeah, I, I still don't, who knows what happens? Um, not I don't agree. I don't bad... think he's going to play when he comes back. Yeah. Or at least we okay. shouldn't need him to come play. Not a bad guy to have that. If you need someone to step in, that is available though. Oh, for sure. Because like at this point, I don't know who I would take out of the lineup. To yeah. like put him in, like you're taking Austin out, who would be extremely valuable against a bigger team like LA, for example. You take Yan Mark out, who his speed and his penalty killing has been invaluable this year. Like, who are you taking out? Maybe Devin Shore, but even like you said, he's been fantastic lately. Yeah. Yep. Um, Ty Boat on the Edmonton Oilers schedule. We've got some smaller Oilers related stuff um, and some some other stuff I want to pose you with. I got a good question towards the end of this uh, podcast here. But uh, next week, Edmonton plays Arizona uh, on Wednesday, Vegas, Saturday. That's going to be a, um, a, a hell of a test. And then we're going to rinse and repeat on Monday and Tuesday with Arizona and Vegas. But those two are on the road. Uh, realistic outcomes of the next week. John, your prediction. Well, I'd like to win three out of four. Well, Preferably four out of four, but yeah. three out of four, preferably two games against Vegas, both wins. I think those are the most important ones. Like if we go one and one against Arizona, I'm not going to be too bad. But if we lose a game to yeah. Vegas, I'm going to be upset. And especially if we lose both games. Yes. Yes. I don't think I have a disagreement there at all. Other than the fact, like, it seems like when we lose to bad teams, we lose to bad teams badly. So hopefully if it's three out of four, it's it's a squeaker, but we'll see. I I think Campbell gets that start on the Monday. Yeah, but I, I don't think you'd start him for any other happen. It's back to back. So that's that might be the last game that he gets this year, like in theory. Actually, no, there's yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday in April of uh LA then Anaheim. So he'll probably get the and, game against Anaheim as well. Yeah. Yes. All right, uh, some things that have been going on. Let's start with Slater Cuckoo. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, taking time off this. I, I, I don't want to say unfortunately, because it should be uh, kind of praise for him stepping up and um, stepping away from hockey just for the fact that um, it, it was to, to help with his mental health. And uh, he, he kind of opened up on LinkedIn of all places <laughs> with uh, his reason to step away. Um, 
it's kind of floated around social media, so I won't get into it too, too much, but he talks about his anxiety and how much uh, it was getting to him to the point that he wasn't eating, the vicious cycle, not eating, uh, not fueling your body, not being able to perform, and then, of course, getting the criticism, so anxiety, and on and on and on. Um, kind of kudos, not kind of, kudos to Slater Cuckoo for coming out and, and uh, talking about it. It's just... Uh, People forget that hockey players are people sometimes. Well, that's for sure. Like you, there has been a lot of talk about Jack Campbell lately with like him potentially struggling with some mental blocks right now. And I think everybody has a lot of feeling for him. And obviously like thoughts go out to Cuckoo so he can get his, his mind straight and hopefully make a return to the NHL one day if he's taking a break like it seems as though he is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, and other news, this is today. The Oilers signed Jake Chase on to a three-year entry-level contract. Uh, one of the standout players uh, for me, and uh, I nearly said spring training in preseason. Um, I, I think that was just a long time coming. It was interesting, the timing of signing that, though. Yeah, I just find it more funny because everybody sees that signing. They're like, "Do we sign Chase on again?" It's like, "No, no, different Chase on. Don't, don't get yeah. them mixed up." <laughs> He's not signing his entry entry level contract. All right. Um, okay. Announced today, the new Fanatics uh, jerseys will be released 2024-2025. They're the the new partner that's taking over from Adidas. It's a 10-year contract. So it's like the third jersey provider that we've switched since 2007. What, what are your thoughts here initially? I have a very heated like, disagreement here. I have two thoughts. One, okay. I like the fact that it's 10 years because I'm so fucking tired of them changing constantly. Mm. It drives me insane. But two, Fanatics is terrible. So this is going to be awful. Thank and you. I can't wait for my next jersey I buy to fall apart in six months. Fuck it. Terrible material. Their colors don't match the real jerseys. Uh, did we mention that the jerseys fall apart? Uh, their hats can't fit any normal-sized head. Um, it, it's, this is going to be a train wreck. Uh, but I'm with you. At least it's 10 years. Uh, it sounds like they're not going to make any ch like changes to the... Uh, adidas like jerseys themselves for the first couple of years so we won't have to worry too too much but i just i don't know i did not see that coming i was figuring like maybe we'll get an under armor maybe we'd get a new era but I, fanatics was not on my list there i'm curious is there details as to how much this contract was for uh i was just looking and uh i was watching a um Pete Blackburn video and he was saying that the the money is undisclosed so we can only imagine it's building off of their e-commerce e deal that they have so millions and millions of dollars I, well, I would bet I would imagine Fanatics would probably have to overpay a bit to become the partner and let's look at another potential positive is that if they did have to overpay then that could really help with increasing the salary cap if it's worth as much as i would uh, think that it might be that's a nice positive spin 
That's a nice positive spin. I mean, you gotta spin something positive about this deal, because God, I don't want to buy a jersey now for ten years. I might go buy an Adidas jersey like today before it's too late. <laughs> yeah, I like Adidas coming out with that idea for the reverse retros was genius. Um, I just I don't know. I am scared we're gonna get some Walmart ass looking jerseys in the next ten years, but we'll see. We'll see. Let's let's hope that they can. Uh, um, bring some positive change to the jerseys when they do, but I don't know. I don't know. Okay, Sean, I have the last topic that I wanted to chat about, so if you have anything else, hold your peace afterwards. <laughs> I think I, I am good, so feel free to shoot your question. Okay, I have a concept. I heard this on the Steve Dangle podcast. I think it's genius. Now, this will get rid of hopefully some of the, the issues that we're seeing with overtime. But it was brought up the idea of how we call it sudden death overtime. And if we make some alterations to get rid of the shootouts or what have you, if we go in and we change that concept to death overtime, that being said, you go, you play your allotted time, say five, ten minutes, whatever it is, three on three, at the end of the, the period, if nobody scores after the four periods of hockey, both teams get zero points. So you're telling me that every team should go balls to the fucking wall because they don't want zero points? Could you imagine how crazy overtime would be? I mean, that'd be pretty crazy, honestly. I still think I would prefer like a three-point system where mm. it, it's something like if you... If overtime ends, then it goes to a tie, so you each get one point, so it's essentially the equivalent of a loss. That's fair. Yeah, but, that would probably... Yeah, it yeah. creates a similar system where some games are worth more than others, but then it might make the two teams play more balls to the wall for that extra point and not care too much if they lose, because if you tie, you lose. Regardless. Right. So you still get the same amount of points, so you better go balls to the wall and try to win. Yeah, I, I could see how that mitigates that problem. Yeah, I don't know about um, zero points. I think that's a little aggressive. <laughs> yeah, you, you tie, you lose, essentially. Um, that's funny. I, uh, I was actually doing some, some research based off of that and flipping through. Did you know that you can, in current NHL, like right now, you can lose in overtime and get zero points? You can lose in overtime and get zero points. Correct. Please explain, because I do not understand how that could happen. If you pull your goalie in overtime and you get scored on an empty net, you get zero points. Really? Dead serious. It's happened so, twice. What's yeah, that? I was going to say, like, if you pull your goalie in overtime, say, on a delayed penalty, and it goes into your net because you pass into your own net, like, that would mean you would get zero points? I think it has to do with pulling your goalie like intentionally uh, with even strength. So I think it might apply to that. But and this has happened in, before. This has happened twice before, and so I was curious. I was like, "What the hell happened?" So the one um, instance, I think I saw this on TikTok or something. Um, but Andy Murray, when he was coaching the LA Kings, both of them had to do with playoff implications, and so LA. This is the one example. I forget who they're playing. Uh, one of them was an Oilers game. Um, but Andy Murray pulled his goalie in overtime because LA needed two points to qualify for playoffs. They got scored on, didn't make it. But that's why they pulled their goalie. 
I was going to say, like, that's got to be the only reason I could think of why you would do that in the first place is desperation to make the playoffs, because otherwise it's not worth it. Yeah, like that's kind of I mean, it's a ballsy move. But if you know that one point, like if you lose in overtime, like you're still not going to make playoffs, like why not try it? Well, and it's like it's similar to pulling your goalie at the end of a regular game. And like, just think of the idea of you're playing the last five minutes, you're down by three goals, like, but it's the last game of the season. You need to win in regulation or something. You're like, you're pulling your goalie at five minutes left. You do not give a fuck. And you leave that net empty for the rest of the game because you're just going to try to score. It doesn't even matter. They score another one. You leave the goalie out of the net. You keep going. Yeah, it's 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 weird because you'd be doing it in overtime. But yeah, I. That was a that was a niche rule I did not know existed, but well, I hope we don't have um, to experience that as an Oilers fan anytime soon. <laughs> but the more you know, the more you know. So, All right, say for uh, example, sorry, there's one more thing I wanted to say. Um, oh. say for example, you're Edmonton. You're mm-hmm. you need the win to win the division. But you, if you so get home mice advantage, or let's say win the conference. Yeah. But if you lose, you get second. And you're in overtime. I don't, Do you pull the goalie I, to get the win? I don't think so, because I think I'd rather still take first in my division rather than conference. Well, um, I mean, it's it's first in the conference and the division. Oh, okay. Okay, so otherwise you move down into second. Yeah. I still don't think you do it, because um, you'd still have home ice advantage. Um, you'd be basically playing two, three seed as opposed to one, whatever the second wild card. Uh, I guess it just is. depends on who you're going to play. Like say this same scenario is like Toronto and they can overtake Boston or something. So they go from having to play Tampa to having to play fucking the Islanders or something. I think you would go for it. Hey, hang on. So right now, Let's just theoretically say that the Oilers are on the cusp with Vegas or something. And it would be if you're playing for top position. Either you win and you play Winnipeg or you lose and you have to play Vegas. I would say make it Seattle instead of Winnipeg that I'm playing and I would go for it. Not that I think Winnipeg will beat Edmonton, but I am still afraid of Connor Hellebuck to a degree. I just I don't like good I... goalies. Goalies can steal series, and that's my fear. I'm I'm with you there. I am still shell-shocked from that four-game sweep, so uh, let's stay away from them for a little bit. All right, with that being said, we will be back here probably next Wednesday after the... Uh, the ba- I, I hope you can call them back-to-backs against Arizona and Vegas. Um... But uh, the Oilers will have two at home, two on the road, and we'll get a clear picture of this playoff scenario.